Hey, listen, now one of the things, I mean, there's a lot of things, but one of the things that makes this uh, church so great is how, how young it is. It's a young, it's a young church. And I mean that in the sense that, you know, that just in the last 12 months, 15 babies have been born to, uh, to our church family. Aww. Look at that, eh? And the number, I think about the number of kids that are in Harvest Kids just down the hall right now. I peeked in before I came into the service this morning and the great room is full with kids worshiping. Wana, Awana takes over this building on Wednesday nights. It's just uh, crazy here. It's a, it takes a special calling to be involved in Awana, I believe. Uh, it's, it's so crazy here. And the excitement of High Five Week during the summer in, in July here. And then thinking about our Harvest Youth on Tuesday nights and, and uh, just having them taking over uh, pretty much all of this building. And it's just awesome to see what God is doing. Uh, wouldn't you agree? That God has just blessed us in an overwhelming uh, way here. We are a blessed church. Now, no doubt you've heard the African proverb. It's a pretty common proverb, but uh, it says, it takes a village to raise a child. Do you believe that? It takes a village to raise a child. And uh, we would adapt that to our own situation. It takes a church. It takes a church family to raise a child. Now, whether you're a parent or not, you have a stake in raising kids with character if you're part of this uh, church family. Kids who know Jesus, and I'm talking about kids who know Jesus, not just know about him, uh, that's what we want to have as our goal. And if you're part of the Harvest uh, family, then you have a role in passing on uh, the faith to the next generation, helping kids move from childhood to adulthood with their faith Um, First of all, they have a faith. Second of all, their faith is intact. And then third, that faith is strong. And uh, what we're going to do today uh, as we continue on in our series is we have three passages from God's Word to look at today that are going to help us figure out how to raise kids with godly character in the face of a culture that makes that very difficult. Raising kids is hard enough. Who agrees? Raising, Raising kids is hard enough. And, and we have to do it in the midst of a culture that doesn't always make that any easier on us. And I'm going to leave some time. I'm going to kind of get us through these three passages and, and lay a bit of a foundation for everything we're talking about. And then I'm going to bring Jeannie Chorus up here, and she's our uh, children's ministry director. And uh, she and I are going to do a dialogue at the end of the message uh, for about 15 minutes or so. And just so you can anticipate that, we just have to kind of make it through this much of Todd, and we can get to Jeannie, and everything will be all right. So uh, here's what we're going to go after. Let's get right to it. Raising kids with godly character requires you to have three things. We're going to look at these. Uh, First, this, a clear perspective. Grasp what you have been entrusted with as a parent. Grasp what you have been entrusted with as a parent. We're going to be in Psalm 127. Uh, You can either turn there. We're going to put everything up on the screen this morning. Uh, We looked at uh, the first uh, half of the first verse of Psalm 127 last week. In fact, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And then when you move down to verse three, he's talking specifically about children now. Behold, children are a heritage. Some of your translations might say an inheritance. Okay. Behold, children are a, a heritage from the Lord. Uh, That is to say they are essentially a trust that has been given to us, a privilege to receive that trust, a privilege to receive that trust, but also a responsibility to bear because it is a trust. Now what you're going to notice in the next little section here is he uses three illustrations, uh, metaphors or similes, illustrations to make his point here. 
Now he goes into the second one, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Okay, another metaphor for uh, the blessing, the gift that children are to us. Here's the third one. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. And in this context now, uh, when this psalm was written, say two and a half, a thousand years ago, um, we're talking about the value that children have in that particular culture. And um, he says here, in essence, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth, children are the leading indicator of a family's future strength and security. So he says, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. The quiver being the, the, the holster that the arrows were all uh, put in. And if your quiver is full of arrows, if you have lots of children, this is where he's going with this, if you have lots of children, that translates into lots of safety, lots of security for you. The more children you have, the more security. The more honor you'll have, the more respect you'll have. He shall not be put to shame. This is the man whose quiver is full of of arrows, whose family's full of kids, he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Why? Because, listen, he's coming to the gate and his, his enemy is fronting him and he's backed up behind him where all his sons and his daughters, his whole family, and, Dad, we have your back. And he feels a huge amount of security in the fact that he's got those kids there with him. Now listen, all of that is in the context of the culture when this psalm was written and um, I just want to say this so there's no misunderstanding. The number of children that you have, if you uh, have children or want to have children, are having children, the number of children that you have is between you and the Lord. And this is a lot less about the number of children you have and a lot more about how we value those kids. The thrust of this passage is about the value that children have in our lives. And sadly, here's the reality. And this has happened throughout history. It's documented over and over again that when a society becomes rich and prosperous and self-sustaining, the number of children in the families of that society, the number of children goes down. Birth rates always go down in prosperous societies like our own because, listen, children become less valuable. And other things become more valuable. In other words, in a prosperous society, children are seen as an inconvenience. They're seen as costly. They threaten the wealth potential of a, of a couple. And they threaten their freedom. We're not as free to do the things that we want to do. We don't have as much money. The stats tell us that it takes about a quarter of a million dollars to raise your child to adulthood. A quarter of a million. That's a lot of money. I could have all that money. But listen, I would be poorer at the end of the day. My portfolio might be bigger. I might live in a nicer house. I don't know. But I would be poorer at the end of the day. And I wouldn't have experienced the blessing that God has given to me. Now, here's the thing. The society can certainly go down that road, but Christians need to be in a very different place. And our culture today considers children to be expendable and the decisions we're making around even uh, some of the issues around um, abortion and such are showing the lack of regard and the lack of value we have for children in our society today. 
As Christians, we have to do better than that. We can't fall, fall into that. And we have to value children the way God values children. We have to go back to Psalm 127 and see God's heart. And when we value our children and see them as a gift and as a trust or an inheritance from God, we'll become intentional in how we steward that trust. We'll become more serious about how we parent. That we're actually going to put some thought into how we parent. Before we parent, or if we're already into it, what changes do I need to make? What do I need to evaluate here to make this better for my kids and for our home? We need to be more intentional and more serious about, uh, about serving and harvest kids and those of you who already serve there, that, that we're not just going to wing the message. We're not just going to uh, just put a minimal amount of time into preparing to be in harvest kids. We're going to pray for these children. We're going to learn this lesson and we're going to teach the word of God. We're going to model it for our kids. We're going to pour ourselves out for these children that we're teaching. If you're engaged at Awana, it's the same thing. If you're a youth leader on Tuesday nights and you're in charge of the grade 10 guys or the grade 6 girls, I mean, you've been given a charge. You've been entrusted with something. This isn't just a checkbox, I've served Jesus and good for me kind of thing. This is like I'm here on Tuesday night to serve the Lord with this trust that he has given to me. It is both an honor to be able to lead these young people and and a privilege and, and a responsibility that I have to bear. We're going to ramp it up. Why? Because we value them the way that God values them. And even if you're not directly engaged in children and youth ministry... Even if you don't have children of your own, but you're part of this church family, there's a responsibility that we bear here. Because a life well lived for Christ. Please understand, people are watching. Children are watching us. Even if you, you never go close to Harvest Kids or Awana or Youth, they're watching. And so we all bear this responsibility to, 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 to have a life well lived for Christ. To make an impact in their lives. And of course Jesus said. Matthew nineteen fourteen, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. Don't hinder them in any way. From getting to Jesus. For if such is the kingdom of heaven. Don't let anything stand in the way of a child. At the core of everything we're talking about here is that we value children so much that the most important thing that we can give to them is Jesus Christ. To tell them about him. To invite them into a relationship with him. To have their sins cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then to live their entire life passionately for him. And every person who's part of the Harvest family has a stake in that. And I'm just feeling, when I read Matthew 19, 14, and I hear Jesus say, let the little children come to me, I just feel like we should see children the way Jesus sees children. Don't you think? We should see children the way Jesus sees children. Because children need to be a kingdom, gospel, divine priority for us. We should value them that much. That's the clear perspective that we need to have. Grasp what you have been entrusted with as a parent or as a member of this church, as a servant in any of our children's ministries. And then notice uh, this next, that we also need a relentless commitment. Saturate your home with the word of God. 
saturate your home with the word of God. Now, if we're to raise kids with godly character, uh, this is what we have to do. We have to be into the, into the word. We have to be into the Bible. Now, Deuteronomy 6, uh, 4 to 9, this was a passage, we're going to put it up here on the screen. Um, you can turn to it in your own Bibles if you want. Uh, this was a passage that was preached at, at uh, mine and Cheryl's wedding, and it set the tone and the tenure for our entire family life and the upbringing of our kids. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's the Shema, that's something that Orthodox Jews in particular will recite several times a day. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then we hear the great commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And then he says, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. That's a very important line. These words shall be on your heart. In other words, we're not just learning them intellectually, okay? I believe these words. I'm living out these words. They're they're transforming my life. It's a heart thing. And then very practically, here's the counsel to parents and to those of us who lead children. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, now this, is, this is just pushing us toward this, this Bible-saturated home. Orthodox Jews actually take this last part super literally, and they will take the Shema, that, that uh, the Lord God, the Lord is one, that little verse on a piece of paper, and put it into a box, and they have this headpiece that they'll wear, some Orthodox Jews, and they'll actually have a little box on their forehead with the Shema in it. Or they'll have a harness on their hand and a little box on their hand and the Shema is in that. Or they'll post it in these little boxes that are on the doorposts of their home. You'll see that in many Jewish homes. You'll see uh, this, uh, this, this little box on the door and inside of that is the Shema, just what we read here from Deuteronomy 6. Now with all due respect to that, I think they've missed the point. All of this is illustrative. It's, it's not meant to be taken literally like that, but is meant to compel us toward, listen, no matter what's going on in your home, your home ought to be saturated with the word of God. This is, this is a point uh, to, to illustrate the nature of how the word of God has infiltrated our homes. It has much less to do with whether or not you've actually posted a scripture verse somewhere in your home. Now, how many people here in your home, you have scripture hanging on the wall somewhere? You have some kind of a plaque or something. Raise your hand high. I want to see all of these scriptures. And that's wonderful. And I think you should do that. And we've done that in our home. Over each of our uh, kids' bedrooms, we had their name. We had a scripture verse placed over all of their uh, doors that uh, pertain to the, the, the meaning of their names. Uh, those are still hanging there, even though they've all... Uh, mostly moved out. They've all, <laughs> two-thirds of them have moved out. Um, but, uh, but those are still there. We have uh, another spot on our stairs going up to the second floor where we have a scripture verse that's embossed right on the wall. So we have that scripture, but we are a very um, impoverished people if that's all we've done is posted the scripture on the wall and we aren't living it out. At the very start of this series, we talked about necessary attitudes that we have to have. And, and if our home is going to be awesome, these attitudes need to be there. And we built that off of the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5, 22 and 23. 
Now, now listen, if you have the fruit of the Spirit on a plaque or some kind of wall art and it's on the wall of your home, that's awesome. But if you're not living out the fruit of the Spirit, your, your kids are going to see that. Oh, they've posted the, posted the Scripture, but there's not really any love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness in this house. And your kids will see that and they'll notice that and they'll see the disconnect. So we have to live this out. This is more than about a figurehead or a token expression of what we believe from the Bible. This is about intentionality. This is about, notice what he says, teach them diligently. So we have to think about what we're doing. We have to consider this very intentionally. Harvest kids and Awana and youth and retreats. And are we getting our kids to these things? Are we making it a priority? Are we talking to them about what they're learning? Are we hearing the excuses of our teenagers about why they don't want to come on Tuesday nights? And we're saying, you know what? But I still think you ought to go. Or are we giving them a pass on these things? I mean, I think if you homeschool, I think you get this. Generally speaking, homeschooling requires greater intentionality. And I hope that as part of your homeschooling, you're compelling your children to learn the word of God and live it out. If in a Christian school, you you still have to make sure your kids are being taught the word of God. You can't just assume that it's being done. And that the school is taking care of everything. You can't delegate all of this out. If your kids are in a public or separate school system, you have to find out what they're being taught and you have to lay that uh, under the scrutiny of the word of God. And if you're not doing that, parents, literally you have no idea what the teacher is saying in the classroom during the day and how your children are being shaped by it. This takes diligence. It takes intentionality. It takes the regular application of God's word in your home. Now you might wonder uh, what our home was like as we were raising our kids. Again, all our kids are in their 20s. They're all uh, married now. And uh, we're, th- we're grateful that they all have faith in, in Christ. But I, I will say this, and I was always jealous of the home that like every single night after the meal, the Bible was brought out and a portion of scripture was read and, and prayer happened around the table. I was always envious of that home. And I know that those homes are out there and I really super appreciate the diligence behind that and the regularity and how faithful people are around that. And I just want to let you know, maybe you're surprised by this because I'm the pastor, but I'm I'm just here to tell you like that was never our home. Like we just could never get into the regular cycle of that was all. I think if you do that, that's fantastic. We could never get there. I mean, there were, we were irregular at it. There were times when the Bible was opened at our table and we tried to be faithful. And we worked through Mark's gospel. And we did a lot of stuff in Proverbs and, and we worked through all of that and we'd have little discussions. I think if you're making an effort at that, that's awesome. But I don't want you to beat yourself up because you're not getting it like every single night of the week. Here's what's far more important than the ritual, because if you're great at the ritual, but your kids aren't actually getting the word, see, that's exactly the same as just putting a scripture verse on the wall, but not actually living it, living it out. So when we look back to Deuteronomy 6, then we start to see how this actually plays out. In other words, are you talking about these things, you know, more casually when you sit in your house? 
When you walk by the way, when you see something happening out in the world, and when you lie down at night, and when you rise up in the morning, are you thinking about the Word of God? Are you instilling certain disciplines into your children to even seek these things out for themselves? So we were never great at the consistent time of Bible reading around the dinner table, but we prayed with the kids before bed. We talked about spiritual things regularly. We applied God's word to decisions we had to make and crises that we went through. And what we had, I believe, was authentic living out of God's word and not just a ritualistic reading of the Bible because we had to. And because it wasn't a rigid ritual for us, I just really believe that by the grace of God, we had great buy-in from our kids. And they believed the word. Now, some of you might be sitting here thinking that that, that, that just sounds so boring and, and, and dour and, and, and devoid of any fun. It's always talking about the Bible thing, and that was the farthest thing from the truth in actual fact that very often what would happen in our home, because we have one of our three is actually a clown. He was given to us for entertainment purposes only. And we would read the Bible on certain nights, and I think in hindsight it was a really bad idea to pick the book of Proverbs because the word sluggard just entertained him every time he heard it. And the word sluggard is just used a lot in the book of Proverbs, and so we'd be reading along, and we'd come to the word, and we'd all start giggling, and that was the end of family devotion time for that night. And so there was, I mean, I'm just telling you, the word of God was a priority, but we would often descend into laughter at times like that. And I, I think about uh, Proverbs seventeen twenty two, and a joyful heart is good medicine. And your home needs to be fun. So that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about it, the Bible being a joy killer, but actually the Bible being a joy provider for your home. Joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries the bones. Martin Luther said it this way. I just love this line. I'd never seen this from him before, but you have as much laughter as you do faith. You have as much laughter as you do faith. In other words, as your faith in Christ increases, so should your laughter. Why? Because as your faith increases, you trust him more. And no matter what you're going through in life, whatever crisis you're facing, whatever hard things are coming your way, you know Jesus has got that. You know a better day is coming. And so you just feel this lightness about you, even in the midst of difficulties. Because your faith is in him. You have as much laughter as you do faith. And so really laughter is an indicator of how strong your faith is. If you claim Christ but you never laugh, I wonder about you. Because joy is a big part of the Christian life. And too many miss this. If you're not having fun altogether as a family, then you've missed the point of being a family. We had a little proverb that we followed around our house, not a biblical one, but I think the spirit of it is there. But if it's funny later, it's funny now. Now think about that. Because a lot of crises that you go through and you're all so upset about it at the time and then like three weeks from now, you're going to be laughing about that thing. Well, laugh now. And just enjoy yourself a little bit more and take some of the heaviness off of your family. An overly serious, rigid, by the rules home is death to the soul and evangelistic repellent to your kids. They don't have any part of that. For sure we're to be sober-minded, but not so stoic as as, as the latter part of that verse says, not so stoic as to crush the spirit. Serious about what we believe. 
but not somber, not stifled in that. So saturate your home with the word of God and and have fun while you're doing it. That's the relentless commitment that we should have. And then finally, this one, uh, a loving submission. Do what is best for your kids. So two things there uh, that I need to say right out of the gate. The first one is this, that that the submission part is built off of what we talked about last week from Ephesians chapter 5. You can turn in your Bibles right now to Ephesians chapter 6. That's where we're going to be. But it's all part of a greater section. And in in Ephesians 5.21, we talked about mutual submission. And Paul sets up a whole section where he talks about the husband-wife relationship, the parenting relationship, and master-slave relationships, or any unequal relationship. And he says that in all of these relationships... It's mutual submission. Husbands submitting to wives by loving them. Wives submitting to husbands by respecting them. And in the case of the parent-child relationship, we're going to see that there is submission back and forth. And so it's not just the kids submitting to their parents, but there is, in a very real sense, parental submission to kids. Okay, that is the setup, a loving submission. Do what's best for your kids. Now, here's the second thing. Do not misunderstand what I've said here about doing what's best for your kids. Best is not determined by you, parents. Okay, it's not determined by you because that would be a parent-centered home and a parent-centered home's a disaster, okay? Best is certainly not the kid determining what's best for them because kids don't have a clue, okay? They don't know what's best for them and for sure, can I get an, an amen to this in a second? For sure, we don't want child-centered homes. Amen? We don't want child-centered homes. What we want is a Christ-centered home, and this is the way to get it. So do what's best for your kids is do what's best according to the Lord, the Lord for your kids. Okay? So, so here we go. Ephesians 6, 1. Let's go to the children first. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So if you are in this room and you are a child or a kid, okay, then you have an obligation. Your part of the submission is to obey your parents in the Lord. And, and this is the way to get an awesome home. And I don't know anybody who doesn't want an awesome home, whether you're the kid or the parent, you all want an awesome home. The way to get an awesome home is to obey your parents. You say, well, I don't know. I'm kind of like a teenager. I don't know if I'm still under the category of a child. So let me help you with that. You are still a child if you eat food that was not purchased by you, you sleep in a bed that was provided for you, if your clothing that was mostly given to you uh, magically disappears and reappears clean on a regular basis, okay, then you are still a child and you are still under your parents and you are still obligated if all of that is true, sleeping in a bed you didn't buy, clothes, got it, got it, you still must Obey your parents in the Lord. And all the parents said, correct. Now, he goes on to say, verses 6, sorry, uh, chapter 6, 2 and 3, that the command to do this comes with a promise. It's a promise of blessing. And that is that you're going to have this awesome home life that I know you really want. Then the attention turns to the parents. And and this is what Paul writes in verse 4. Fathers... As representatives of mom and dad, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Don't parent in a way 
that frustrates and angers your children. And there are so many frustrated and angry children today. Many of them are done with the faith by the time they're in their college years, but some even in, in terms of their teenage years, they're already checking out on Jesus because they spent their growing up years in a home where they were constantly angry and frustrated at mom and dad for legitimate reasons. Now listen, I could say a lot about uh, this, and I have um, little time in this message because of some other things we want to do, but I have prepared a document called 12 Surefire Ways to Provoke Your Kids and Cause Them to Sin. 12 surefire ways to provoke your kids and cause them to sin. We're going to put that on social media tomorrow, and then that'll be posted on the resource page as well uh, for you to access. And, And this is going to require, again, diligence and for you to approach your parenting in a very intentional and deliberate way. If you think you can wing your parenting, then that's going to go nowhere good. Parenting requires intentionality and consistency. And that's, in fact, what we see in the next section as we move into instructing them and disciplining them. You say, you know what, I'm not sure. Maybe I am frustrating my kids. Maybe my kids are angry. And let me tell you, if you live in a home with angry and frustrated kids, everyone knows it. Everyone knows it. But no one maybe wants to talk about why that is. And I would just encourage you that if you want to know whether you're angering or frustrating your kids, the best thing to do is just go ask them. If you're courageous enough and you value them enough, what is it about mom or dad that frustrates you? What is it about my parenting that makes you angry? And have the conversation and get at the root of why this is happening in your home. And then move toward the two-point plan that we see here to move toward the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The King James Version was the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, the thing about Paul putting both of these words in uh, this passage is there's not really a lot of distinction between the two words and their definitions. They're almost synonymous, and Paul uses them to kind of like punctuate his point. There's like a little subtle difference between the two. Let me show you this. First of all, discipline is to provide instruction with the intent of forming proper habits of behavior. It is to teach or to instruct or to train Instruction, on the other hand, is to provide instruction as to correct behavior and belief. And so between the two, what we really see is one is very proactive and one is more reactive. So let's break that down. Proactively train your children. Now, this is more than just spiritual formation of the teaching of the Bible, which we've said a lot about already in this message. But this is really teaching them in all areas of their life. How well are you doing, mom and dad, at shaping your child to be a well-rounded adult? How are you doing at training them physically, mental, emotional, intellectual, social education? Kids are spending more time on screens and, and less time outside and less time with their friends and that has huge implications on them both physically and and socially i mean i I just remember i realize i'm super old but i I mean i just remember that saturday morning would come around and call our friends you know take the receiver off the phone on the wall in the kitchen and dial our friend's number right i'm really dating myself right now 
And, and we would make plans for the day and we'd pack a lunch and we'd put it in a backpack and we'd hop on our bikes. We'd be gone for the whole day. And mom would say to us as we were pedaling out of the driveway, be home before the street lights come on. That was like the only rule. And so they had no idea what we were doing all day Saturday out there and it's darn good thing you didn't. <laughs> really good thing they didn't know. I mean, we barely let our kids outside in our fenced yards anymore. And are we really developing them in a way that's healthy? We're seeing more and more that all the time that kids spend online is affecting kids' mental health negatively. Are you taking proactive steps to train your children? Have, have you really thought through this in terms of formal education and where your kids are going to receive their formal intellectual education? Have you intentionally thought that through and made the best decision for each of your kids? So many kids lack basic social graces. They lack respect for adults. They don't even know how to talk to someone who's in authority over them. And parents, that's on you. Have you not taught them how to address adults properly? I get that we live in a society that's way less formal than it was when I was a kid. But we need to be doing better than what the culture around us is doing. We need to be intentional about all of this. And then when needed, that's proactively train them when needed, and it will be needed, we need to reactively correct them. And I would add this to the end of that phrase, reactively correct them in love, never anger. In love, never anger. So this is not reactive in the sense of, I'm just like reacting impulsively in the moment. It's not that at all. This is reactive corrective in the sense that I've actually thought through how I'm actually going to discipline my kids when they need that kind of correction. And how we do this plays a huge role in whether or not your kids are provoked to anger, whether they're frustrated with you and therefore descend into sin. How we do this Correcting them is going to provide a model for them for the rest of their lives. If we never correct our kids when they get into their first job and their boss tells them something they did wrong, it's going to be an absolute crushing experience for them. And we've so bubble wrapped our kids today that they can't cope with those kinds of things anyway. Right correction sets your kids up for success as adults. And so when you take the two words together, listen to this now, discipline proactively forms right behavior and instruction reactively responds with correction. That's the two-point plan. And too many parents aren't thinking about both of those things. And we'd have a lot less, I would just say this, we'd have a lot less to react to if we were a little more proactive in training in right behavior. We'd have to go to number two a lot less often if we spent more time on number one. Now, I'm going to put a, a resource on um, social media again tomorrow called um, Reactive Corrective Discipline with a, with a multi-step process for rightly correcting your children when they need that kind of discipline. And it's a process that Cheryl and I followed as our kids were being raised, and that's going to be available to you on the resource page uh, as well this week. 
Now, one final note I would just say about discipline, and uh, then I'm going to uh, get Jeannie to come up here. But, I, you know, I would say to our kids uh, fairly often, and we, we lived in a, a, a fairly competitive home. We play a lot of games and such. Um, but I would often say to our kids in the midst of disciplining them, um, you guys are a team. And I would talk to the three kids. You guys are a team. And your mother and I are the other team. And we always win. And what I meant by that was Cheryl and I always backed each other up. There was never any conflict between me and Cheryl when it came to disciplining the kids. Cheryl and I never discussed parenting strategies in front of the kids. We often discussed them behind the scenes, but never in front of the kids. We never disagreed about discipline in front of the kids. And we would never let any of our kids... Uh, play us off against each other or triangulate us. And of our three kids, one tried a lot to do that. And we always won because we were the other team. And we always won. And so that's what it takes. Uh, That's a little uh, tidbit at the end, a little freebie. But that's what it takes. In essence, I've given you a lot in a short period of time, and yet it only scratches the surface of everything that we could talk about, but that's what it takes to raise kids with godly character. And Jeannie's going to join me uh, right now. We're going to do a reset on uh, the stage right now. Why don't you go ahead and welcome Jeannie as she comes up to the, uh, to the stage. Amen. So Jeannie is our uh, children's ministry uh, director, so she's in charge of our Harvest Kids, our Awana program on Wednesday nights, and our amazing High Five uh, Day Camp in July. And uh, Jeannie had the privilege of going to a um, conference. It was really hard to persuade her to go to Orlando in January uh, for, for a conference. But she went to a conference there on, uh, it was for children's pastors and ministers. And, uh, and so she went to a session on uh, the generations and how we're going to kind of get narrow this right down uh, to some very practical things about parenting and insights. But she went to this session on the generations and she was kind of sharing a little bit about it. And then I was like, well, with this message coming up, I'm just going to have her brief me a little bit on it and insert some of this information into the message. So Thursday, she's in my office and we're, I was like, I don't know, three, four, five minutes into it. And I was like, you know what? Instead of me trying to put this into the message, I think I'm just going to put you into the message and have Jeannie come and share these uh, insights herself because I I think just hearing it from her and with her background and how she invests herself so greatly with the kids, I think it's going to be a benefit for you to hear it from her. And so we're talking a lot about generations. I'm going to run through a series of questions. You'll see the questions up on the screen as well. well. Are there really significant differences in the generational characteristics, um, as sociologists say, and do they really impact how we parent? Absolutely. There are major events that affect every single generation, even music that affects every single generation. And it's so important to be informed about what influences you and and what impacts you and what impacts your kids. Otherwise, there's going to be a disconnect. Right? Everybody's heard of the boomers, right? You know why you're the boomers, right? And do you know that Elvis Presley topped the charts in in that generation? Um, After the boomers, we have Gen Gen, um, Gen X. X. Yeah. You and I, mm-hmm. right? The latchkey kids. Um, do you know actually who charted the top? Well, I know you're going to say Elvis, but I was thinking more of the Beatles. For the Boomers or yeah. for Gen X? Gen X. Gen X was actually Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson, Thriller, Top of oh, the Charts. Oh, right. I was thinking one back. Right. Right, right. Exactly. 
Um, so after Gen X, we had the MJ most... fans, Michael Jackson fans. I yeah. had a poster. Funeral. Definitely. Thanks, Dwayne. <laughs> Um, after Gen X, we have the most picked on generation, right? The millennials. The millennials, 9-11, right. highly affected you. Um, and um, actually, it was Kelly Clarkson that topped your charts, millennials. So there you go. Um, after the millennials... How, how is country music even right? relevant in this discussion? Is she country? I would say so. Okay. Yeah. No? After... <laughs> so after Easy the... now. The crowd is restless at right? 11 o'clock, right? I know. Yeah. Um, Gen Z, or the I generation, fell after them. I generation because everything that started with an I was introduced around that time. Um, and they were largely affected by the Me Too movement and uh, social media and all of that. And after Gen Z, oh, actually Bieber topped your charts, Gen <laughs> Z, just so you know. Um, after Gen Z comes the Alpha Generation, my Harvest Kids, all of them. It's 2010 to now, right? Our Awana Kids are Generation Alpha, um, and they are not the boomers. So it's really important to know who we're dealing with um, when we're parenting, because it's mostly millennial parents that are parenting Gen Alpha. Who, who thought it was a good idea to let millennials have kids? I don't know. <laughs> I love them. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so, and their, their music, Alpha Kids, what are they listening to? Oh, yes. Actually, there is a chart topper for the Alpha Kids. Do you want to know what that song is? Not really. Baby shark, do, 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 baby shark, do, 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 do. Right? Yeah. It's a great it's cool. song. Yeah. yeah. We, so, have, we, have that on, we have that on video now. Awesome. Yeah. That's great. That'll be the sermon clip this week. Jeannie <laughs> singing Baby, baby shark. shark. Yeah. It's, it's a awesome. classic. It is, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> okay, so in saying that, now, so we, so we recognize all these generational differences. I think we realize that even from living right. with all the different generations, and mm-hmm. our church is very intergenerational, which is great. But you're not denying that there are universal principles for parenting, which right. we just talked about in the message. But you are saying that we need to be sensitive to the differences in order to apply these principles effectively. Exactly. So every generation has unique characteristics, but God designed the family. Right? And basic human characteristics have always been the same. But like I said, boomers are not our alpha kids. So it's important to know who they are. And these kids have grown up without God. Or a lot of gods, a lot of small G gods in their schools. Right? Mm-hmm. And everything is acceptable. Right? When you and I went to school, our teachers were still reading Bible stories to us. Right. Right? We were saying the Lord's Prayer, but not so much. Or not at all anymore. Right. So these kids need to know the why. They need to know um, the lessons that we teach them, but they also need to know that it's true and that we can trust it. So we take them to scripture that points them to that. And that is exactly why we're using the Answers in Genesis curriculum this year. I was so impressed by the apologetics portion of that. Every single lesson um, has an apologetics piece that teaches the kids why we can trust what we just learned because they're going to have to go back to the playground um, where they're going to hear all sorts of things or at family functions, and they're going to have to defend their faith, and we want to equip them for mm-hmm. that. Um, and, but the other thing is that because they're being parented by millennials, um, millennials um, were, as I said, highly influenced by 9-11, um, that's when evil entered the world, right? That's when the war on terrorism started. So we, you are reconciling good and evil at that point. And what do I really believe? So as you're wrestling with your faith, you need to understand that you need to have the assurance that you know that you know um, what God says and why he says it so that you're able to impress that upon our Generation Alpha. 
Right. So, um, okay. So let's get, get, get to this. I was thinking about um, just something you said about truth and the way we each see it. And um, I'm not sure where I was going with all of that, but the, the why question is super important because right. our generation and, and even maybe the one after us still made an assumption about the Bible being authoritative. But, right. And so we didn't need the why. Just give us the content. Give us the what. Exactly. But now this generation really needs the why. Exactly. And we need to be taking a stand on things like uh, marriage and um, gender and marijuana, whatever it is Mm -hmm. um, that's out there these days. We need to take a firm stand on it. You know that Gen Alpha will never know a time without gay marriage or gender fluidity. This is just their norm. Right? So a couple of weeks ago, um, as we were going through the creation account with the kids, we were talking about uh, marriage, that God created man and woman for a specific purpose. And they are to be wed. And this is why, and this is the reason behind God wanting this to happen. And there's no question about that, kiddos. So you can trust it. So what are the biggest challenges that millennial parents are facing today in raising their alpha generation kids? Well, Interestingly, in 2010, the start of Generation Alpha, that's when Instagram and iPad were introduced, right? Some of our Alpha kids, their first babysitters were iPads, right? Um, This was an interesting quote um, from McCrindle. Gen Alpha is a part of an unintentional global experiment where screens are placed in front of them from the youngest ages, pacifiers, entertainers, and educational aides which is tragic. So screens are a huge issue. And we know that they're in front of a lot of screens and there's five different screens a day or, and the, there's too much time and the, the content and all of that. But it's not just the kids, right? It's the parents. And I'm not pointing my fingers at any of you, but we have... Right, no one say, here has this of, problem. Of course they don't. We're no. talking about everybody else outside these walls. Right. Um, we see, um, you know, moms and dads holding their babies, but they're holding their babies like this. Right. Right? So there's no FaceTime. Right? This is critical. That child is is not going to be able to bond with a parent who's not staring at them in the face. They're not going to understand cause and effect. They're not going to understand emotional response. Right? When I smile, mom smiles. That's a great thing. They need to learn that from you. Right? right? Uh, So screens are huge. Um, Millennials are tagged with being overconnected, superficially and digitally literate but biblically illiterate, right? You didn't grow up with this stuff, so you need to seek it out. You need to search it out. Um, So I had made that point before. It's important for you to know your stuff, to be able to um, share that with your kids, and you talked a lot about that, right? Right, and then in terms of how this generation, so millennial parents, alpha alpha kids, um, and how they compare in the church to outside the church, again, in our generation or even the one just behind uh, the millennials, you you have... um, you have a, 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 an unbelieving society out there that might be indifferent toward the church, maybe a little respectful of it, but indifferent towards it, doesn't think that the church is particularly relevant. But millennial non-believers, you are said, are, they're actually hostile toward what exactly. we believe. It's so a whole these, different... Totally. These are your peers, millennials. Right. right. These are the parents of the kids that your kids play with. Right? If they know you're here today, they feel like this is a hostile environment. Right? So that is what you're up against um, as you're hanging out in the playground, as you're making play dates, as you're witnessing to them. Right? Very different mm-hmm. from our generation. Okay. So uh, what do we have to do differently in our homes and in the church as a result? Because of this whole digital age that our kids are absolutely absorbed in relationships, they, they struggle with it. In fact, they say that 40% of alphas won't marry. 
That is tragic. And you talked a lot about this, um, about the fact that we need to model good relationships in the home. Um, we need to continue using circles and centers. We do that in Harvest Kids and Awana. It's very important that we sit around tables and we talk to each other. We don't talk at our kids. We talk with them. Um, we won't ever replace, unless we don't have enough volunteers, um, right. a Way to slip in that live, recruitment thing there. <laughs> a live teacher in a classroom for video instruction. Right? Because, um, again, with the Answers in Genesis curriculum, it's an ask-respond process. Right? The children are very involved in the lesson, so we're, we're, um, um, we're not just talking at them. And these kids need to be visually stimulated as well. Right? Auditory learning, it's not their fave. It's not what they're going to respond to. So we, we need to ramp it up for them. We need to allow them experiences to learn as well through the Bible. So live teachers is the, is the top priority and supplemented by screens and technology. Absolutely. But not, we're not fronting the technology. Exactly. So we need to be careful with technology. Mm-hmm. It is an amazing tool used wisely. Right. right? You absolutely want to FaceTime with the grandparents in the next province. That's important. You want to sit down and have family movie night. You want to sit down with your child and explore the internet and all of the cool things that God made. Right? You have the world at your fingertips tips on this internet. So you want to do those things. But you want to guard against the idle time that they're on right. it and then what they're watching. And, of course, all of the filters and right. the, all of the things that you can do. We could be here for hours talking yeah. about that. Um, but so it's really important that, um, that there's a proper use of technology. You sure. want to bring some of those stats just to kind of punctuate how important this is. You have some charts to show us. It's, Absolutely. Um, one of the things that I did want to mention that children today seem to be less resourceful, less resilient. They struggle with fragile self-image and they suffer from anxiety and depression. So a lot of this is coming from um, their they're being on their, their screens so often. And also with millennial parenting... This, this is hard to hear, maybe, that millennials were coined the trophy kids, right. right? They were rewarded for minimal accomplishment in sports, et cetera, creating unrealistic expectations for working. Right. Um, in working Everyone life. gets a ribbon. That's right. That's right. So kids have to fail. Kids have to learn how to self-monitor. They need to learn how to self-regulate, right? Because they're not spending all day playing um, unsupervised, Right. right, so we need to create opportunities for our kids to do that. It's okay, um, it's okay to lose, and it's okay to get into a fight. Here's how you're going to get out of it, right? You're just going to help them do that uh, because this is what we're seeing with kids. The first slide is um, the percentage of students who presented with depression, anxiety, or relationship problems as the main reason for seeking help at a counseling center. Now, the fact that these kiddos are even heading to counseling centers. Is sad. So from 2010, maybe 2009 and up, such an increase in that. And the next slide. And, and the reason for that increase was we're going to see it right here, right? Exactly. Right? More likely to feel lonely or left out. Spikes after the introduction of the iPhone in 2007. Right? They're isolating themselves. And the next slide. This, is, this was interesting to me. Um, the urgency to drive decreases after the iPhone appeared. Right? Who doesn't want their license at 16? Yeah. Right? Whereas the only way we were ever going to get any kind of fun in our life was, mom and dad, drive me to, right. or can I have the car? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But they are immersed in um, a digital world, right? And, and an, an alternate reality where they get to play with people online who aren't real, right? Mm-hmm. And if they don't like the game, they shut it off. If they're losing, they shut it off. Yeah. Uh, the next slide. 
a decrease in the time spent with friends right. around the same time. So same things happening. We're, we're seeing that relationships are um, are failing, right? Okay. And we need to we need to teach them. Yeah. Okay. Anything else you have there? No, I think that's good. So we have some nights coming up that you want to share because we've ju- again just scratched the surface here with all of this, and hopefully whetted your appetite to pursue this a little bit more intentionally. But tell us what's coming up. Biblical so, soul care. Right on, on March the 7th, there's a dessert night uh, at 7 p.m. It's called Parenting with a Purpose, or so our <coughs> biblical soul care team has got some great stuff lined up for you. Um, no excuse not to be there. We have child care available, so that's mm-hmm. great. And I'm, not, I'm actually not just talking to parents. As, you know, if you've checked out because you're not a parent, um, there are lots of kids down the hall that, that need you, and you may have other children in your life, so it would be amazing for you to be there and to hear what, what we have going on. And we have two Saturday events um, called At My House, Practical Tips for Parenting. On March the 30th, we're going to be talking about parenting your teens and parenting your grandchildren. No child care available at that one. You shouldn't need that. But on Saturday, April the 6th, from 9 to 11, parenting your preschoolers and parenting your grade schoolers. So parenting Gen Alpha. Mm-hmm. That's what we're going to be talking about. And we'll have child care available for that. That's great. Yeah. So take advantage of these things that Biblical Soul Care is providing for us along the way. And again, the resource page has so much available in terms of books and articles and videos you can watch from Right Now Media. Just a, a lot there for you as parents to take advantage of. So let's thank Jeannie for joining uh, us this time. Awesome. <clears throat> All right, let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for um, the uh, blessing it is to have you speak to us about these things. You designed the home, you designed marriage, you designed family. And Father, we want to press in to know your heart for these things. So thank you for speaking to us this morning uh, through this. And Father, give us a a resolve to uh, pursue these things as we ought to, to love children and value them as you do. And Father, I pray that you would help every home that's represented here. Father, help it to be awesome. We know that uh, to be your plan. Father, thank you for hearing this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.